This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I don't think that you're capable of clenching in that way. Okay, babe. Well, we haven't had a baby yet, have we? Hello and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season three, episode 16 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, the big one. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Doppelgangland. I'm excited to talk about them. Me too. I had a great weekend this weekend. Me too. We were together. Yeah. <laughs> Finally got some time apart. It was fantastic. No, we met some old friends from uh, when we did improv in Wisconsin. They came to visit. Yeah, they don't really do that. They have little kids in Wisconsin, so it's hard for them to get away. But they got away. And so we went to Central Park, and then we went out to eat, and we had some drinks. Yeah, we went to this cool vegan restaurant called Modern Love. Yeah, it was really good. There's like a famous vegan chef that started the restaurant, and our friend loves her cookbooks, and it was great. Yeah, if you go, get the mozzarella sticks. It's obviously not mozzarella. It's like cashew and, I don't know, some other nut, but it, it tasted delicious. It was really good, and the cocktails were great. Yeah. And cool vibes. We also went to a place where all the tables were, like, slanted. I think it was just because the floor was uneven, but I was like, is this the theme? Oh, yeah. We, like, got drinks beforehand at a place down the street. It was an outdoor dining situation, but because of the way the street was, all the tables were, like, at an incline. Like a pretty steep incline. The waitress is just, like, confidently setting drinks down. We're like, no, what? Do we have to hold these? I never felt comfortable not holding on to my drink. I know, and we each had a drink and a water, so we're all just, like, hands on deck trying to... To let her drink spill. Honestly, it's, it's like, what is going on? Someone like did the math to be like, what's the greatest angle we can make and still have it hold the drinks on the table? But that was a really nice day. Central Park was great. It was like great weather, not too hot. And it was great to catch up with old friends. Yeah. We recommend. Old we friends. recommend hanging out and catching up with old friends and also vegan food. We're not vegans, but it was still good. True. Should we just get into it? Let's do it. Okay, so this week we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, what happened in the big one? This episode dealt with Rory and Paris's like mending of their relationship. Also, it dealt a lot with the anticipation of getting into or not getting into Harvard and other colleges. Also dealt with Max Medina. Oh, boy. Coming back into the picture a little bit. And also some Suki stuff. Yeah, that sounds right to me. So the episode opens with the girls at home reading, waiting for the mailman to show up. And then when he does, they like rush outside and the mailman is Kirk, of course. Of course it's Kirk. Uh, And they're waiting for the college acceptance letters, specifically from Harvard. The big one. The big one. Because we find out that a big envelope means they got accepted and a small envelope means they didn't. Is that how it really goes? I don't remember. I feel like I've heard that in real life. Maybe I'm just confusing it with the show, but I think because they send you all the materials, you need to like proceed. Right. If you get in, where if you don't get in, they just send you a little piece of paper. A little postcard that says, see you never. I thought we had established that the mailman just brings the mail right into the house and leaves the door open. Yeah, but that was the old mailman. Well, Kirk has his own way of doing things. Yeah, which is much slower. He doesn't sort the mail. Yeah, and he's like, uh, that's the way they used to do it. That's not the way I do it. His system is he just randomly goes through all of it every time. 
Next scene's at Luke's where Lane is like drumming obnoxiously and Lorelai is crabby because she has got allergies. These allergies are very important for a lot of plot points. Yes. And she's also upset that they have new menus because apparently Luke is sprucing things up because of his new girlfriend. Excuse me, his new girl he's dating. He makes it a point in saying she's not my girlfriend. She's the woman I'm dating, which is like, okay, whatever. If you're not dating multiple women, then she's probably your girlfriend. But he added more salads for her. And they give him all kinds of shit for this, but it's like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of funny that, like, Rory and even Lane were sort of acting, like, hurt, almost. Yeah, because he got rid of the Monte Cristo sandwich. That nobody ever ordered, including them. This scene, essentially, though, is just to set up, one, that Lorelai's got allergies, and two, that Luke is still dating this other woman. Yeah. And it's progressing. Uh, also, we should mention that the credits did not have Jess in it, so we knew he wasn't going to be in this episode. Yeah, I'm surprised they take him out, though. I think Lane's always in, and she's not in every episode. Yeah. But they don't want to not show that dancing. Oh, you remember what she does in the credits. I think Brian likes the credit song now. So they're in class in the next scene. And <laughs> okay, for, uh, to keep the ugh, which okay, Madeline is the one with dark hair. Uh huh. And Louise is the one with blonde hair. Yes. All right. So Louise is like talking about how she didn't study at all, and it was totally worth it because she was making out with some dude, and she's like showing off all her hickeys. The teacher's handing back a bunch of papers, and she says, hey, there's this optional speech competition for the upcoming bicentennial event. I don't know, whatever that is. She's, like, really trying to sell it hard. She's like, C-SPAN's going to be there. If you guys aren't familiar with C-SPAN, it's the most boring thing in the world. Golf is more fun to watch than C-SPAN. Disagree. (laughs) You love C-SPAN? I've never watched C-SPAN, but I think I prefer it to golf. But the teacher goes on to say, and this is important, that a bunch of old alumni might show up and that they might teach at the colleges you're going to. So it's good to, like, get on their radar. But most importantly, Brad Langford is back. There's no way you remembered his last name. You wrote that down. I wrote it down the second they said it. Okay. (laughs) It's like, I don't think I knew his last name. Brad Langford's back and he's confident now. Because he was in a Broadway production of Into the Woods, which is a real thing about that actor. Is that why they... Because I was like, what a weird choice. Yeah. The time he was not in the show, that's what he was doing. That's great for him. Yeah. It's funny that they they pointed that out. But he's confident now. And honestly, I love that. I I love that he's confident in this episode. Mm -hmm. Because Paris starts being mean as fuck to him. And he doesn't... I I thought the joke was going to be like, I'm confident now. And then Paris is mean to him. And then he's all like whimpery. But he's not. He's all like, you don't scare me anymore. But Paris is, like, really getting into Rory's face, like, essentially, like, goading her into doing this speech so she can, like, humiliate her by beating her. It's just like, yeah, I just, it'd be sad if you didn't because it just won't be as big of a win if I'm not, like, totally dominating you. All right, Paris, you're doing great. You're a wonderful person. I liked when she came over to sign up. She's like, you're blocking a list. And Rory was like, okay, well, that's, like, not the nicest way to point that out. You could ask us to move. Yeah. I don't know. She just, like, really tore her down for her tone. Yeah. And then you should. Yeah. And then to Brad, she's like, you're going to move? You need, like, a five, six, seven, eight. I just thought her, like, musical theater targeted jokes were very good. They were very good. But, like I said, I do like that he didn't, like, cave to them. Yeah. Then at the end, we have a situation in the kitchen. Suki's upset because several plates were sent back. And she's, like, furious that they were sent back. Her food gets sent back. She's the best chef in the world. You know, Lorelai shows up. She's like, yeah, that tastes like sewage. And, like, right before she tastes it, you just see all the kitchen staff kind of like, yeah, I don't know. We want to say something, but we can't. And it's because the food's bad. And so Lorelai's like, oh, maybe, you know, you were sick or something. And Suki's like, well, I had a bug, like, a week or so ago, but I'm fine now. Immediately, I know what's up. Like, I feel like everyone should know, right? I mean... I mean, I knew, but I know. Yeah, we'll get there. But, like, immediately, I you, I feel like I knew what was going on. But also then Rory comes in. She's like, oh, what's this? This looks great. And then all the chefs are like, no. no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so what I don't get is... I mean, we can just say 
Suki's pregnant. Yes, she's pregnant. Does that affect your taste buds? I, I no imagine idea. it could. I feel it does affect your smell. Let's say it does. She also knows how much stuff to put in to make food good. Like, it should be kind of reflex. Yeah, we talked about this during the show, and I feel like I would understand if she made something a little too salty. Mm-hmm. Or not salty enough, because she was tasting better, or like her sense of taste is a little dulled. But what but is she something... putting in to make it taste like sewage? Exactly. That doesn't make sense. And, like, why aren't the other chefs telling her? Is, is that because she's also pregnant and, like, mean? Like, is she being moody? Yeah, I mean, I think they've just, like, never questioned her before because she's amazing yeah but i agree that if it tasted like sewage one of them should tell her yeah. they're doing a bad job if they're not telling her agreed there's like 12 of them yeah i just don't buy that it would be sewage level like undercooked little salty but not not sewage but also like the bug that she had obviously was like morning sickness yeah Right? I think that was the implication. I feel like if you're trying to get pregnant, you have morning sickness, and then your taste is off, you might be like, oh, I'm pregnant. Well, I think she does realize that in like two minutes. Yeah, I I realize that. But even morning sickness, I would be like, am I pregnant? I mean, if you're going for four and four, you need to know. So Rory comes in, like you said, and she starts sort of just complaining about Paris and about the speech and how she kind of want to enter just to like beat Paris. But she realizes that's pretty petty. So she says she isn't going to do it because she doesn't really want to. and There's no real need to. And then Lorelai sort of pressures her to do it. Yeah, she's like, if you're going to be like a foreign correspondent, you should like be into giving speeches and stuff. But in the same token, I almost want to be like, yeah, but Rory does a lot. <laughs> like, maybe she doesn't have to do the speech. She did a lot to apply for Harvard. Like, can she just have a couple of days off when she's not writing speeches? No. No, she's got to. Probably Lorelai wants her to do that so she doesn't have time for sex. Yeah. So Rory sort of, like, suggests that she'll do it. That's when both women, Suki and Lorelai, have this, like, pregnancy epiphany and they, like, embrace. They're all excited. We realized it a long time ago. Back at the school, they're, like, waiting to audition with their speeches? This is bizarre to me. A speech audition? I've never heard of something like this. Me neither, but I guess because they're presenting it on TV, they want to hear them do it and not just, like, read submissions. Mm -hmm. But they're sitting outside this, like, classroom, and Paris is just, like, trying to psych everybody out, like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to do when he was a bodybuilder. Oh, yeah, we watched a documentary about that. He would, like, intentionally, like, try to mess with people to, like, get them off their game. Well, he's had a very successful career. So maybe it's a good idea. Yeah, you should bully people, everybody. <laughs> you heard it here first. So Paris is just, like, trying to get into everyone's skin and, like, undermine their confidence. She's still making fun of Brad's musical. Yeah, and that's pretty funny. She says he's been talking to cow for the last year. He's like, there's a person inside the cow. I told you that. Yeah. Also, it's very funny when he, like, defends himself. And they're like, the paper called me winningly naive. Yeah. Just, like, I guess that's good. But Rory's sticking up for everybody, especially Brad. She, like, tells her to leave Brad alone. And then she uses some of her own, like, psychological techniques against her. She's like, Paris, your speech must really suck if you feel like you need to do psychological warfare to win. I was like, yeah, do more. Go after her, please. Then we cut back to the Gilmore house where Lorelai's on the phone with Suki. Suki has told Jackson about the baby. And apparently he is not taking it very well. I will say it's kind of funny the way she talks about how she broke the news to Jackson. She, like, broke a ton of stuff telling him. Yeah. She was like, oh, yeah, you're clumsy. Glad we hit that note. She tells, like, way too detailed of a story. But to be fair, Lorelai did say, tell me everything. Don't leave anything out. Yeah. And then she gets mad at her for not leaving anything out. But Jackson is just, like, heard the news, walked away, grabbed a calculator, and started, like, doing math about how they're going to afford this baby. And he's, like, not responding to questions. And he just keeps saying, oh, boy. That's kind of funny. He keeps saying, oh, boy. 
Oh, boy. Lorelai even points out, like, why is he freaking out? He wanted four kids in four years. Shouldn't he have figured this out by now? He and was I, very mean to Lorelai about that. Yeah, you figure he would have, like, thought this out and been ready to finance one baby. The only thing I can think of, which solves a lot of problems, is that they weren't trying right now. Right. That explains why Suki wasn't necessarily looking for morning sickness. Right. And also why Jackson is shocked. Like, maybe he thought they had a year or two to save money. But they don't ever say that. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know how you accidentally have a baby. You know what I mean? It's just like right before you finish, just like clench down and hold everything in. I'm sorry, clench what? Clench everything and just hold it all in. Who are you clenching? I'm clenching me and holding it all in. (laughs) So it never comes out? Right. And you need to be clenching and pushing everything out. You're clenching with your hands? No, I'm not clenching with my hands. That's, oh my God. You never pay attention when we... I don't think that you're capable of clenching in that way. Okay, babe. Well, we haven't had a baby yet, have we? You're right. And it's all thanks to you. <laughs> my clenching and holding everything in. A lot of people like, get to pull out. I'm like, no, you gotta suck in. Just gotta clench. Clench, baby. If you both clench simultaneously, there's a little wall that forms. Yes, that's what I was taught in my classes. I thought you learned about sex from a bus stop. Yeah, I mean, I used to call that my classes. <laughs> used to? That was like a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't call it. Now you. T- now I'm just, it was an encounter. Okay. What happened to Suki? <laughs> so the, the whole episode, there's this side story about Jackson, like, freaking out and, like, being unresponsive and being pretty silly. Like, later at their house, he's, like, just, like, freaking out in the kitchen and walking out and saying stuff like, uh, we need to put an expansion on the home. And they said that that's going to make us leave for, like, two months. We don't want to do that, do we? And Suki's like, no, no, we, we don't want to do that. And he's freaking out about, like, well, what if a baby, we got to get rid of all of our knives. What if a baby falls on a knife? And she's like, yeah, what if our baby falls from a counter into an open drawer filled with our knives? That would be bad. Like, he's just being unreasonable. She has this line where she says, I guess I just got to let him be male. And I'm like, whatever. That was like a dumb line. I don't know that this is particularly male behavior, is it? Like he's being protective. Like I get the joke, right? Like, oh, men, the way they show their love or appreciation for a baby is like to try to figure out the like logistical things of it as opposed to like showing emotional support. But I feel like his behavior is so ridiculous. It's like, no, that's not how men react. That's how, like, a crazy cartoon person does. Yeah, I don't like that he didn't just act excited right away. Because he wanted this so bad. It's kind of dumb that they make him go, like, days without telling her he's excited. And then to make a line like, oh, gotta let him be male. It's like if a woman was being hysterical and then a character said, well, you gotta let her be a woman sometimes. You know, like, that wouldn't be okay. Right. I just feel like it was a, no, it wasn't offensive. It was just like a lazy line. Luckily, at the end of the episode, though, they're in bed and Jackson, like, stops his computing for a second and then says, like, oh, have I told you how happy I am? She's like, no. And they hug and he's just so happy they're going to have a kid. But then he's still like, we need to, like, get rid of all the knives. I feel like this side story is pretty dumb. I, I, it's whatever. I, I actually don't tend to like the Jackson Sugi storylines. It's weird. I feel like I liked when Melissa McCarthy was on screen. I thought she was funny and I thought she looked really pretty. And I thought the Jackson stuff was a little bit funny, but not most of it. I do like that they're consistently having him wear his silly pajamas. Yes, that is a good catch by the costume department. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Occasionally there is stupid, inconsistent stuff in that show, but that has been very consistent. Yeah, somebody is on the ball with that. It's probably him, because I bet those are his real pictures. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So the next Friday, Lorelai is on her way to Friday night dinner, but she's got to stop and get some non-drowsy medication for her allergies at Dosi's. Uh, there's kind of a funny scene here where, like, Kirk has, like, all the mail spread out on the floor, and he's been spending, like, an hour trying to find the mail for different people. Yeah, Dean's like, it's right there, but he won't let Dean grab it. He has to be the one to give it to him. Yeah, Dean, I've never seen Dean this mad before. He's <laughs> just super mad. I think that's why I thought it was funny, just those two, like, screaming at each other about mail. Yeah. 
But Lorelai's like, okay, well, he's even kind of short with her a little bit. <laughs> She's like, I don't see it in the shelf. He's like, well, we probably don't have it then. And Kirk was like, you were yelling at me. That is not the way to get resolved. <laughs> yeah. So she's got to stop at a pharmacy in Hartford to get her medication. She walks in, and lo and behold, who's there but the funky Max Medina. What? Why is he funky? Isn't that a song? The funky Max Medina? The funky. Uh, and the Max Medina is part of that song? I'm, I'm almost certain. Could you sing more of the song? That's what I know of the song. You think the words Max Medina are in a song? Okay, I don't actually think, but I, there's lyrics very similar to Max Medina. Okay, one time you described a song in this way and someone figured it out, so songsters out there. Songsters help us. Is songsters a word? Okay, so I can't remember lyrics perfectly. You're throwing out words like songsters. I think songsters is a word. Wordsmiths, help us out with that problem. Songsmiths, help us make a new song. (laughs) Okay, Max is there. He's got a cold. Also, he's very close to Lorelai. I know. To be quite honest, I feel like pre-COVID times, people didn't really think it was a big deal to, like, go in public with colds. Right. But Lorelai's like, I didn't know you had a cold. He's like, I recently found out myself. That was funny. But then it's like, back up a little, Lorelai. You don't have to get his breath on you. Yeah, they're, like, right next to each other, breathing their particles into each other. We didn't know about particles back then. We We just found out about particles. He's in town for the bicentennial. He's been in California this whole time. Now he's back. He asks Lorelai if Rory's still got the same boyfriend. She says no, and he immediately can tell that she hates Jess, and they kind of, like, bond over that. But you can tell that Lorelai is just, like, kind of shook by this meaning. Yeah, but it's positive. It's a little flirty. Yes, it's a little flirty, but you could tell that she's, like, got that, like, look in her eye, kind of like, huh, how do I feel about what just happened? And then she just proceeds for the rest of the episode to, like, ask every other person, did I treat Max horribly? And everyone keeps saying he's a good guy. Yeah. I feel like we heard that, like, three times. Yeah. She makes her way to Friday night dinner. She walks in with a coffee. Emily is not there. Three of Emily's daughters of the New Republic? Sure. Daughters (laughs) of the, it's D-A-R, isn't it? Yeah. I have D-N-R written down. Isn't that the Department of Natural Resources? Yeah, and I was like, that can't be right. Emily's got some friends at the DNR. It's the Daughters of the American Republic? Closer. Daughters of a Republic. American Revolution. That's right. But three of Emily's DAR friends have had strokes. What is going on? Are we sure this is just a cold that Max had? People are like dropping like flies. Suki's ill. I mean, she's pregnant. We thought Suki was ill. Lorelai's got allergies. That's a lot of strokes. Richard's flustered. He answers the door. He's like, oh, it's you. I have something to say about this door answering. Yeah. Lorelai says, you're the most masculine looking maid I've ever seen here. Yeah. And then a couple seconds later, he says, you forgot about Liesel, Mm -hmm. who was like their Eastern European maid that had like sideburns or something. Right. But there was a maid named Liesel in a different episode. It's the episode where Lorelai and Rory come in and Richard and Emily are fighting and they like don't even notice that they're there. Right. There's like a super shy maid at the door and doesn't know how to let them in and she says her name's Liesel and then Lorelai makes a joke that they're Brigitte and Gretel, which are all names from Sound of Music. And that maid was very feminine. So like, it's weird that they chose a name that they'd used. That is a weird choice. And drew a lot of attention to and made a joke about. The only thing you could argue is that Richard's just like bad with names, but like, they don't imply that. I think the writers are bad with names. And remember, they liked that name, but forgot they'd used it. Listen, names are hard. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah, you do. Names are hard, boo. I also liked when Lorelai asked what's in the water at these DIR meetings, and Richard said a little whiskey. Yeah. 
Richard Superfluster, he says that the second maid called out and the first maid's busy with dinner. How many maids do you need? Hey, I guess they always have two on. I didn't know that. But also, that maid's sick. What's going on? Exactly. Like something, I let's deal with it, guys. People are getting sick. Mask up. <laughs> you can't mask away a stroke. Well, anyway, uh, so, you know, Richard doesn't really know what to do. He does make a point of saying to Lorelai, like, oh, your mother, if she were here, wouldn't want you drinking out of that coffee cup. So he takes it from her and gives her a drink. But part of me is like, I mean, yeah, but she's not here, man. Do you care? Like, I thought I, that was cute. I disagree. So I know you feel that way, but hear me out. If I were afraid that you were going to spill your coffee cup, so that's why I didn't like you to have coffee cups here, it would make sense for Richard to be like, can you not have a coffee cup? Because Emily's worried about that. But it's just like a it's just like a nicety. It isn't like actually something that's important. It's like if I don't like it if you wear sweatshirts and I wore a sweatshirt where you weren't around. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect you. Well, I think it's just a rule of the house that Emily has that it's weird that people are eating out of takeout containers in her home when she has beautiful plates and glasses. And, well, he maybe doesn't care about it. He wants to respect Emily's rules because he respects Emily. Are we breaking up? No, I mean, I, I understand that point of view, but I just I just feel like it's you're enforcing a rule that you know has no point. So that, does that make it okay? In fact, I would say that's less moral than enforcing it. But they clearly put that in for a reason, and I think it was to illustrate my point. Sure, sure. Otherwise, why have that line? But it also, like, reinforces that this is a punishment. Sure, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, she does the Friday night dinners because her parents pay, but the parents, if we're being real, their desire is to reestablish a relationship with Rory and Lorelai. But this really kind of reframes it as, like, this is a punishment, by the way. This isn't for trying to rekindle stuff with you. This is an obligation you have. I don't think it was even supposed to be written that way, but that's how it reads to me. The phone starts ringing, and, you know, Richard just, like, is oblivious because he never answers the phone. And Lorelai points out, you got to. So he's like, oh, yeah, I've got it. He keeps yelling, I've got it, to no one because no one's answering the phone but him. Right. Like, the maid, the first maid is busy with dinner. Second maid's gone, bro. Maybe the first maid would get it eventually if no one else did. With their, like, ham-coated fingers? No way. What do you think she's doing to that ham? Baby, you have no idea what you need to do to get a ham ready. It is intense. And in some states, it's not okay. You got to clench down. Clinch down, hold it all in. <laughs> God, gross. Also, the martinis that they're drinking are from like a pitcher? Yeah, how many are they going to have? Could you make a pitcher of martinis for us, please? For us two adults and child? Of course, Lorelai is like eager to share her Max Medina news with Rory, so she starts doing a bunch of Max Medina puns. Like funky Max Medina? Funky Max Medina. I, I, we're going to figure it out. It's like a dance or something. <laughs> Then at home, Rory gets a phone call, and it's the headmaster, and he's passed her through to Paris. You guys remember three-way phone calls? What time is it? Yeah, this is also just so weird. He's just like, you know what? Instead of picking a winner, I've decided you guys are both the winner, and you're going to write a combined speech. Have it to me in a couple days. I, like, hated this. I hated this. I get that he thinks that they're, like, kind of clawing at each other, so maybe he doesn't want to give one the win. Yeah. But, like, writing a combined speech, I don't know. It's just, it's like, ugh, I don't want to do You're making me d- spend time with Paris? Pick someone else that wasn't them, then. Yeah, it makes me think, like, were theirs so much better than everyone else's? But what time is it? We've established that 8.30 is an early time to depart Friday night dinner. So let's say they left at 9. It's, like, 9.30, 10 o'clock when this dude's calling on a Friday night? So he, like, just was assuming these two high school girls would be home on a Friday night? To right. conference call with him? Right. It's a weird time to call a child. And then also, like, maybe... Maybe they have plans for the weekend. They don't have time to write a combined speech. Writing a combined speech sounds way harder than writing a single speech. Unless their speeches were similar, but they don't really say that. No. 
So they agree that they're going to do it. And Paris is all like, we'll do it over the phone. But then the next day, it's a weird time jump. Like, it's immediately the next day. And Paris is just at the door. She just shows up. She's decided they have to do this in person. So, you know, she's regular Paris. She, like, goes straight to the bedroom and starts just, like, going through everything. And she's like, are all the names spelled right in your speech? Did you double-check all the facts? You know, it has to be true. There's no way the headmaster, like, didn't check that thing before he decided they both won. Right. She's like, we'll find which whoever did the best parts. We'll put her speech together. By the way, I had sex with Jamie last night. Let's discuss. Yeah, she's clearly there because she needs to process this, not yeah. the speech. Oh, yeah. And she wants to, like, you know, do classic Paris stuff where she's like, let's debate the pros and cons of the fact that I had sex with Jamie last night. Uh Uh-huh. Because she doesn't know how she feels about it because she's a robot. I have a slight problem with her having sex with Jamie. Not the act, but she says she went over there to study. We've established that he goes to Princeton, which the fastest way to get there still takes three hours. She can't just go over there to study. Oh, yeah. I feel like they've done that before. He just, like, showed up at Chilton once. Does he have a jet? He might be rich, but this doesn't make sense. So while they're talking about sex, Paris starts, like, asking Rory questions about her first time. And while this is happening, Lorelai arrives with the pizza, and she sort of, like, walks in and overhears them talking about sex. So she goes into snake mode, all solid snake style. She starts, like, listening, and she hears Rory say, like, well, I didn't have sex with Dean or Jess. It just, like, wasn't the time. And, of course, like, Lorelai's like, oh, my God, my daughter hasn't had sex. This is great. And so she, like, tiptoes off to pretend she wasn't there yet. And then Lorelai, like, loudly enters and is like, hey, I'm home with pizza. When Paris leaves the room, Lorelai, like, hugs her daughter really tight and is like, I'm going to take you shopping tomorrow. And then she says to herself, I've got the good kid. I mean, I guess it's good that, I mean, she knows her daughter's not lying to her, I guess, about sex. But I felt like they had a conversation where she's like, I'm going to tell you when I have sex and it's going to be soon. Yeah. It's interesting that she spied. I feel like it'd be hard not to. But she does, like, back away at some point. I mean, I think that, I don't think she spy spied. She just like overheard and it's like, I need to know. <laughs> like, Yeah, it wasn't like she intentionally snuck in. She just didn't announce herself when she heard what they were talking about. Yeah, and I think that's, it's, it's a pretty hard temptation to overcome as an adult, I, a parent, I imagine. Yeah. At some point before Lorelai breaks this up, though, Paris and Rory like make amends. Yeah, it's a quick, am- I, I don't know. Paris kind of admits that she let Francie get in her head and, like, knew it was bullshit. And Rory's like, you kind of did it. And Paris is kind of like, I know. It's like, well, if you knew, then, like, how come we couldn't have worked this out over the phone yesterday? Yeah. It's only when you needed something that you're, like, admitting all this. It is interesting that she's been, like, friends with Madeline Louise. And they're probably more experienced with this type of stuff. But right. But she comes to Rory for this kind of advice. Well, I think she sees Rory as more of, like, an equal... Yeah. She probably thinks the decisions those two girls make are bad. Yeah, I still don't really even get why she likes them. Yeah, again, I think it's to feel superior. Perhaps. But why do they like her? I, I don't know that. I, I would not spend a single second with Paris. She really has no perks. No, I mean, she's smart, you know what I mean? Like, But like, as far as a friend is concerned, you have to be more than just like super smart. Like, yeah. You can't be mean, too. Unless you're funny. If you're smart and funny, then you can be mean a little bit. Yeah. The next day at school, it's time for the speech, but no Paris. So unlike her. Everyone's like, she'll be here, but it's very strange that Paris isn't there. Even I was like, when the hell's Paris? Max is there, of course. He runs into Lorelai, and Lorelai's like, hey, can I talk to you in this, like, little classroom where we made out one time? I'm pretty sure that's the classroom where we first got to see the boom. (laughs) We've seen the boom before that, but yeah. (laughs) She takes him in this classroom and she's like, hey, I feel like I should have explained why, like, I left things like I did. And he's like, it's okay. It's because you didn't love me. And she sort of implies that, like, maybe that wasn't the reason. Like, you can love somebody, but maybe she did love him. She says that he looks great. I kind of hate this scene a little bit. 
it's like, hey, I know I like essentially broke up with you right when we were gonna get married and spend our lives together and like threw you away. But can we just have like this private conversation where I compliment how you look and like try to not feel guilty about it? And when she says like he looks good, I'm just like, why would you do that? Like, I know it's a nice thing to say, but like, don't introduce any sense of relationship stuff. This scene reminded me a lot of when she sort of just laid a bunch of emotional relationship baggage on Chris at Luke's. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, you're doing this for you. I felt that too. Luckily, Max is fine with it. He has this sort of like everything happens for a reason vibe. He's like, if I had stayed here, I wouldn't have been able to do this gig in Stanford. And I just like feel really good about that. And I'm I'm over it now. It's weird too because she says that they never really got closure and that she never really got to explain. Right. But like, what did she say to him then? Exactly. Did she just call and be like, wedding's off, gotta go to Harvard. Don't love you. Didn't get excited about my dress. Why didn't he ask for closure? I assume that she called him. And didn't just, like, find out when she didn't show up at the altar. So she's all like, great, fantastic, they leave. Lorelai does that thing again where she, like, looks like, I have thoughts. Then Richard shows up, and he, like, says hi to the headmaster, and they, like, shake hands. But last time I remember, they were, like, at odds with each other. They must have had a Rory and Paris chat. (laughs) They sat down on Headmaster Charleston's twin bed. And Headmaster's like, why didn't I have sex with Dean or Jess? Or my wife. What do I do, Richard? Help me, Richard. (laughs) Richard's like, you're going to need a couple of maids. (laughs) Whoa, what's he doing with the maids? Hopefully they're clenching down, those maids. Well, you clench and hold, yeah. Don't just clench, you can hurt yourself. (laughs) God. But honestly, it was the one where they were, like, making a fake business and, like, a different team won other than, like, Richard's team. And he was, like, very mad at the headmaster in that episode. Mm Mm-hmm. But then, like, right before the speech starts, Paris shows up, not dressed up at all. She looks shell-shocked. She honestly looks like she just saw her friends murdered in front of her. She looks like she has the flu. Probably. Everyone else is sick. She looks like she's about to go all carry on the entire school. Mm-hmm. I'm just like racking my brain. What the hell's wrong with Paris? Jamie must have broke up with her, like after having sex with her, but I still feel like that wouldn't, that's just not Paris's attitude. I feel like she would go into anger mode. She's like not responsive when Rory's like, are you okay? Are you okay? We're about to go on stage. This is a nightmare for anyone that's ever had to do something on stage with somebody else. Yeah. C-SPAN's here. All kinds of one person's going to see this. <laughs> so they get on stage. Rory starts the speech. Paris is not doing anything. So she kind of skips Paris's part. But then Paris starts talking and goes way off script. And it turns out she's like, I did not get accepted to Harvard. Shock. I got the tiny envelope. You say you were shocked? Yeah. Everyone was shocked. And she says, like, can you believe I didn't get into Harvard? Everyone knows who Paris is. She's been mean to every person in this town. And she starts saying some weird stuff. She's just like, I had sex, but I'm not going to Harvard. It's probably because I had sex. Then she goes on to be like, Rory hasn't had sex, so she probably will get into Harvard. C-SPAN is like watching all this. Richard is not. Richard is asleep. (laughs) He's just asleep. So Rory like quickly like finishes up the speech, like calls it early, and then like runs backstage with Paris. I guess maybe the headmaster should have picked somebody else, you know? Yeah. Backstage, Paris is like, you know, crying. She's freaking out. She's like, I'm a slut. And Rory's there comforting her, which again, just shows like what a great person Rory is. Even though Paris has been nothing but horrible to Rory for like the last month or so. Even what Paris just did was horrible to Rory. Stole this speech opportunity from her. Also, if you remember, Paris was so mad that Rory mentioned that she had a boyfriend. Paris, in front of C-SPAN and all of these teachers, tells them that Rory's a virgin. Like, brings up Rory's sex life. That's like an unconscionable betrayal of trust. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a hundred times worse than mentioning you have a boyfriend. It is, you're right. 
I mean, I don't think it's like shameful that Rory is a 17 or 18 year old virgin. Absolutely but like, not. You don't tell people that on TV. No, but you it's it's up to Rory if she wants to tell anybody that. Yeah. Let alone whoever's grandparents have C-SPAN on in the background while they're knitting. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's silly that we don't address that. It is, yeah. You, what did you think about Paris's meltdown? I, I feel like it's obviously justifiable that she's having a problem. Yeah. But like rationalizing it with because of having sex. Yeah, is she a sort of silly. indicates it's like the sex caused her to not get in, sort of. Yeah. Which, I also think that Paris, even though she's, you know, a little much sometimes, would have like her wits about her enough, even in this like traumatic situation, yeah. to not be a complete lunatic on TV. I'm torn about that because, I mean, I, her whole life was I'm getting into Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, she's perfectly pushed to her breaking point. Actually, I was like, oh, she didn't get into Harvard. That does, for me, justify her being this crazy. Like, when I thought it was a Jamie thing, I didn't buy it. But the Harvard thing did because that was her whole reality. Yeah, but you'd think she'd know enough to, like, comb her hair? I feel like she just didn't care. Like, what, she probably got accepted at other schools. They're not going to withdraw that acceptance. Yeah, And, yeah. like, I don't want to keep making this joke, but literally no one watches C-SPAN. That's true. But, like, to bring up the sex part felt weird. I think they just wanted to, like, heighten her public meltdown as much as possible. Yeah. Like, having those thoughts privately with Rory makes sense, but to say them out loud was a little weird. Totally agree. While this is going on, Richard tells Lorelai that he's got to leave. You know, he's got this phone call he's got to make. But I don't understand why Emily's not here. I'm guessing the actress had something for this episode. I mean, it is a week later. Maybe the stroke victims still need her help, but that seems silly. Do they need her, like, 24 hours a day? I don't know. Because this is also Friday night. They should be having Friday night dinner. Right, which I don't think they're going to, though. No, Richard's got to work. So it's weird that Emily's not there, or there's not at least, like, an excuse for why Emily's not there. Yeah, they needed to have a line where it was like, all the DER women had heart attacks this week. <laughs> yeah, but while Lorelai's trying to get her coat, she has to get a coat from, like, a secret back room where they store the extra coats. I love this. The coat lady makes a joke, and it's, like, a pretty funny joke. It's exactly the kind of joke that Lorelai would make, except, like, more deadpan. And Lorelai likes it, too. I just like that they threw that in there. So Lorelai goes to the secret coat room, and lo and behold, of course, is Max Medina. Because this script is tight, yo. (laughs) Okay. Not tight like cool. (laughs) Like, we got to get them alone in a room together. Lorelai makes a joke about wearing skirts, and Max Medina is like, oh, one day men will wear skirts, and I will applaud those men, although I won't wear them, and I won't want to be seen with them either. So it goes from him making this, like, very progressive statement about how doesn't matter what gender you are, you can wear what you want. I support that. <laughs> and then just like, I publicly support that. I applaud them. And then just immediately undercuts it. But I secretly hate that and think it's weird. Because I know you like that, Lorelai. It's so weird. It's like one thing to say, yeah, man, if you want to wear a skirt and you're a dude, go for it. Just not for me. I was like, wow, Max, I think that time is now. I think men are wearing skirts and it's pretty acceptable. At least in New York. And then he's just like, nope, don't like that at all. I don't want to be associated with that type of person. <laughs> it's just such an emotional roller coaster in like a three second time period. Yeah. And how can you applaud someone but also not wanting to be seen with them? That was a lot. But then they just rando kiss and they pull away and he's like, I guess I'm not over it. And he leaves. And then we get another one of those shots where she's like, huh, I have thoughts. Is this like the chicken neck thing? What, what is this? You seem to have a clear idea of the face she makes. She has a face. Then the girls go home, and they check the mailbox, because Kirk's finally delivered everything. And inside are several big envelopes. One from Harvard, two from Unknown, for now. One's definitely from Yale. Uh, And as they're walking in, you know, she's telling her daughter about everything that happened with Max Medina. Roy's like, what about Alex? And Lorelai's like, I don't know. 
Lorelai's like, apparently you're the biggest virgin in the world. Because <laughs> she got into three schools. Yeah. By Paris's logic. But they have a lot to think about and discuss. Yeah, they both do have some decisions to make. Rory has three schools to decide between. Two boys to decide between. Lorelai's got like, what, five men to decide between at this point? Ugh, I have issues, man. Why? Well, first off, I think her like trying to talk to Max quickly at this bicentennial meeting is super selfish of her. You okay. have guilt because you dumped him. Maybe call him. Maybe like say, hey, let's get coffee. Don't like corner him at an event that he can't get emotional at. Oh, sure. In like a room that has emotional significance for you as a couple. I think she was talking with Suki how she was going to try contacting him, but then he like showed up at this thing. So maybe she just felt like, I don't know if he'll be around all the time. He's here now. We might as well talk about it if we're going to keep bumping into each other. I would say let's talk at the end then. Sure. She's like, let's talk at the beginning so that you have to sit in this for the rest of the night. And then for her to kiss him at the end, obviously they both leaned in. They both wanted to kiss. But it's like you're in a relationship with someone. And it's not like you've done two dates with them. I don't like Alex. I think he's uh, a placeholder, a hurdle, so you don't date Luke. But still. Do you think Nicole and Alex will end up together? Yeah. I think that's where the show's going. It really takes a turn. It becomes about them. I know the revival is like we finally get back to the Gilmore Girls, right? It's mm-hmm. And at that point, that's why everyone hates the revival, right? Because they're like, I want to know more about Alex and Nicole. She loves salads. He likes coffee. Anyway, that was the episode. So do you think it was a good one? Um, I don't think it was bad. It's maybe not super memorable. I liked a lot of the scenes. Uh, I liked the friendship moments with Lorelai and Suki. I really liked the last scene when Rory got her envelopes. Like, I knew what happens with that, but I still, like, I felt that, you know? It no, was, that was a good heartstrings scene. I mean, that's a big thing. That's, like, the main goal of the first three seasons, and now she she did it. She got in Harvard. The moments with Max were cute and well-acted. I, I thought the whole episode was well-acted. I really liked the scene with Lorelai and Rory at the end when she was trying to convince her to do the speech. Like, Rory was eating something. I always love when someone's eating something. I don't know. They just feel so natural. She loves the Ocean Eleven's movie. <laughs> just, I don't know. Rory's dialogue felt like real in that moment. But it wasn't a particularly funny episode. There were some good jokes here and there. So you didn't really like this episode? No, I didn't. I, I didn't dislike it. I feel like Gilmore Girls generally doesn't shoot blanks. I feel like it's generally got good stuff in it. There's jokes in here that work. But I think for a Gilmore Girl episode, I feel like it had a lot of jokes that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Like everything with Jackson and Sugi, I didn't like. I thought Paris was too much. Oh, I also did like Rory and Paris's scene. Yes, there was a couple of good emotional scenes. Like you said, the very end where she gets her acceptance letters, the scene where Lorelai overhears her. Yeah, the whole sequence with Paris coming over and like, even though Paris's apology and like reason for being mad at Rory were kind of bullshit, it, yeah. it was still like nice that she knew she needed to apologize because she is maybe like not the most emotionally intelligent person. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was like cool that she wanted to relate to Rory in that moment, even though she did it like under the guise of doing the speech. It felt like a big moment in their friendship. Yeah, but it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 3, Episode 16, Death Takes a Hollowell, Prue is tired of losing her battle to save innocence, and in her effort to fight off the angel of death, she has to turn her back on a dying soul when she accepts that she can't fight fate and reconciles with the death of her mother. Jesus Christ, there's so much going on with Prue in this episode. 
I wasn't aware that Prue was trying to save innocence. Well, honestly, I'm guessing the innocence didn't either because she is losing that battle. So she's fighting off the angel of death. Does she just keep showing up? I guess. I mean, maybe we should have been listening to Prue more. I didn't realize she was struggling with all this death stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry, Prue. We're sorry. I thought she just like worked for the baking show. I didn't realize she was doing all this like fighting off death stuff. Yeah, that's why she's always so tired on the show. Yeah. She's got those glasses, and when she puts the glasses on, she can see the angel of death. But she had to turn her back on a dying soul to finish the bake-off, uh, and she's not going to not do the bake-off. That's fate. But also unrelated, you know, she had some mother baggage she had to deal with. Their mother was killed by a demon. I'm sure you remember that. I did not. So I- I'm guessing she just, like, quits trying to save people from dying then. She's like, you know what? Why am I Why am I doing this? If they're meant to die, they're meant to die. She's had a few drinks. She also just saw Terminator 3. Oh. Yeah, she saw T2, and she's like, you can change fate. Then she saw T3, and she's like, oh, you can't change fate. Yeah, she had a real crazy weekend. She had a lot of drinks, a lot of snacks, watched a lot of movies, and her outlook on life, like, really changed. Don't watch Terminator 3, guys. Stick to 2. You don't need to see the third one. It's not good. There's a lot of bad jokes in it. But then she remembers that in the attic, they have a painting of the demon that killed her mother. Right. And she can travel through paintings. And they obviously keep a painting of the demon that killed her mother. Who doesn't do that? So she travels through the painting and talks to the demon that killed her mother and was like, cool, man. We're cool. Well, you just she just shows up and she's like, hey, cool, man. We're cool. And the demon's like, we're cool? He's also had a weekend. He's very drunk. He's been watching the Predator movies. Okay. And... I don't know anything about the Predator movies, so if you can find a metaphor in there. He saw Predator 1, uh-huh. and he's like, killing's cool. Yeah. Then he saw Predator 2, and in Predator 2, Predator doesn't kill anybody that's pregnant. And so he's like, oh, okay, you know, I can see the mother-daughter bond is important. Did he kills someone that's pregnant in the first one? No. But in the second one, he purposefully does not kill someone who's pregnant. Oh, that's nice. He can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So because that heat vision, you know, the demon's been watching these movies, so he's got like a soft spot for mother daughter relationships right now. Yeah. So he felt bad. Yeah, and and she has closure from talking to him, so she goes back and doesn't save any more innocents. Which ever again, at no. least for the time being, she takes a break. Yeah, but she's like makes a big announcement of it, like, "Hey, sisters, I'm done. I'm done saving innocents." And they're like, "We're barely in this episode. Good to know." So they're a little worried about her. Right. Like, it's not like her to do this. No. And she's been, like, having a season, man. Yeah. All right. This is Ben. Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. All right, Stacy. Then we watched Buffy. Can you tell us about Doppelgangland? Doppelgangland is about the wish-granting lady, Anya, returning. Anyanka. Sure. She goes by Anya in her daily life. And through a botched spell, the vampire version of Willow from the Wish episode appears. And regular Willow, who's been kind of having a bad day, has to deal with all that stuff, plus this new vampire Willow. And that's, that's kind of the whole episode. It's very Willow-focused. Willow so like I said, Anya's back. Remember Giles destroyed her necklace and her powers? So the episode opens with her begging for her powers back from some, like, troll demon that's sitting in a cardboard box? Where are they? (laughs) It reminds me of that Saved by the Bell episode where they're, like, a band. And they want to get their powers back? No, but, like, Screech ends up, when he leaves the band, becomes some, like, hippie, and they go to, like, the high geek. Anybody? Anybody? This sounds familiar. Some nerd that they go seek out wisdom from? Trust me, it happened. This guy reminds me of that. 
Yeah. I guess she never really left. She's just been going to Sunnydale this whole time? Why? There's so many questions about her. Does she have parents somehow? That are like was she born into this 18-year-old's body? Like was she reincarnated? No. Like who who's making her go to school? She could like get a job. Why she got to go to school? Like the anointed one wasn't like also going to school. <laughs> you yeah. <know? laughs> like, and she doesn't look 16. Like she could just not go to school and no one would question it. Yeah, exactly. She hates high school. She's flunking math. So she's trying at school, I guess. Yeah, like when she was a demon, she was going to classes. That I get, because she was trying to get people to wish. Right. But why keep going? Sure. Go look for a way to get your powers back. Don't go to school. The demon doesn't care about any of this. He's like, it's your fault. Your powers are gone. You live out your mortal life and die. Goodbye. So she's going to figure this out for herself. At school, Willow is levitating a pencil in the courtyard. I feel like I've seen this scene or this imagery before. Is this, like, somewhere famous? Have I just seen it online or something? Yeah, I don't know. It was, like, the first use of green screen ever. Yeah. Buffy's apparently prepping for lots of physical and psychological tests. She's, like, training really hard so she can do better than Faith. They kind of talk about Faith, and Buffy's like, yeah, she had it rough, though. Like, under different circumstances, I could have been the one who killed someone. And Willow's like, no way. Some people just don't have it in them. And then the camera cuts to Buffy looking like, I'm deaf, gonna kill someone before the season's over. <laughs> Willow pitches them going and getting hopped up on sugar, but she's, like, already hopped up on something. She's really goofy in this scene. She's, like, really giggly and talking super fast. I think she's just excited about her magic. I guess so. I felt like there was a few moments like that where I was like, what is the weird thing in this episode? (laughs) Snyder calls Willow and some stupid jock named Percy into the office, and he keeps saying they're a perfect match, and Willow's like, you want us to breed? (laughs) (laughs) And Snyder's like, no, idiot. I want you to tutor him. Willow's like, I don't want to do that. I'm, like, super busy. He's like, do it or I'll kill you. Not really, but, like, he really pressures her to do it. He's got a picture of a child on his desk. Does he have a family? I'm guessing there's a Flutie's family. He just left it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This seems kind of fun because, one, Snyder references the Go Fish episode. Oh, yeah. Which I always like when they reference those, like, one-off episodes. So it's sort of like, yeah, it was a one-off, but it happened, you know? Like, it has impact. But also, like, this mirrors, like, what she did in the Go Fish episode, kind of. Yeah, where she's teaching that class and one of the swim team people's failing and he, like, pressures her to pass him. Yeah. Really, he could just pass that kid. Like, he could go in and change the grades. Willow's a student. Snyder is just, like, such a piece of shit. Like, he always has to use the stick. You know, like, use the carrot. I feel like you could say something that, like, this is a great student. You don't need to be forceful. You could be like, hey, if you do this for him, maybe I'll let you leave campus early or something. You know what I mean? Like, But she's afraid to leave campus. <laughs> Remember when they could go off campus for yeah, one? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's funny. It's a good callback. Thank you. So she's complaining to Buffy about how big of a bully Snyder is as they walk into the library. And Giles is like, hey, get on the computer now. Keep hacking those mirror files. (laughs) She's like, okay. So she will do Giles bidding. Giles is like having a lolly, by the way. What is this? I'm like, is this a band candy episode? It's like weird thing number two. Something's up. And then Faith just bounces in like nothing's weird with her. Like she didn't kill a man and then like try to blame Buffy for it and then threaten to kill the Watchers. She's been training with Wesley. I'm just like confused about so much here. Like last we left Faith, she's working for the mayor. None of these people know that. But like she just knocked out one of Wesley's friends and escaped the van he was taking her in to report her to the Watchers Council. So he's just done with that and he's training her now. And also she like tried to kill Xander. We're fine with Faith right now? Yeah. 
none of them seem weird around Faith. Like, they kind of give her a look, but it's almost like she's faking being into this training that they're doing. Well, she says to Wesley, like, I'm just running my mouth off. I'm down to do this. So sort of like an acknowledgement of like, hey, I'm just being loud, but like, I have discipline a little bit. Yeah. But I don't feel like that was enough to justify like all the things that just happened that we're not referencing. Are we going to see these tests they're talking about? Also, what the fuck are these tests? Okay. So no? No. They spend a decent amount of time talking about that. Like, it, it seems like a big thing we're setting up for. Buffy just did a test. Yeah, What? why are there tests now? Faith was, like, being brought in for judgment, and she, like, escaped. And the council's like, oh, that's fine. She's got her tests coming up. Whatever. Also, is Giles watching? Like, other than the lollipop, he's acting very authoritative. Yeah. Wesley's kind of winded from helping Faith, and Giles offers to train with Buffy so that he doesn't have to, which I think is supposed to be kind of a dig at Wesley. But, like, is Giles even allowed to do that? He was, like, forbidden from helping in any way. Right. Everyone leaves except Faith and Willow, and Faith sees that Willow is hacking the mayor's files. The next scene is Faith telling the mayor that, but he's just gotten her the closest thing Sunnydale has to the apartment from Big. <laughs> he's got her all set up in this, like, swanky apartment with a PlayStation. She tries to be, like, flirty to thank him. He's like, now, now, Faith, none of that. I'm a family man. Now let's figure out how to kill your little friend. <laughs> I think he means Willow in this case, because yeah. she's the one that's hacking. Willow sees Oz in the hall. He's just gotten back from a gig. It's, like, unclear if he told her about it or not. It's implied maybe he did, but she's been so busy she forgot about it. Like, she seems upset that he didn't tell her. I guess she's got a lot on her plate with doing school, being a witch, tutoring Percy, being Giles' tech bitch. She seems stressed out. Yeah. I don't like Oz's black hair. It'll have a new color next week, I'm sure. Really? It changes a lot. It just looks really unnatural. I don't like it. Willow goes to talk to Percy to figure out when to meet about his paper. He's like, uh, I thought you were writing that for me. Is that what you thought Snyder meant? I don't know that it was implied in that scene. Yeah, I don't think he did either. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he wanted to happen. Right. But I don't know that he did say that. She's like, no, let's meet at lunch. And he's like, I don't have time at lunch. I gotta hang out. (laughs) Willow's bummed. She defiantly eats a banana outside of lunchtime. Yeah, it was really out of character for her. Her outfit is so silly. It's like various shades of pink, floral skirt, tights, big pink sweater with flowers around the neck and just like random patches of happy faces and girly shit randomly placed all over it. I mean, I think she was supposed to be very high contrast from the other version of her. Yeah. But it looked like something her niece made for her. Yeah, I know. I feel like Willow eventually finds a style that is like something someone would wear. But she hasn't found it yet. It just doesn't make sense that they try so hard to make her look 12. And they do not hide the fact that Cordelia is 30. Yeah. Buffy and Xander come over and Buffy makes the big mistake of calling Willow old reliable. She hates this. And then some music starts playing that lets us know that this is going to be Willow's Zeppo Epo. <laughs> Zeppo Epo. This is a line here that I thought was stupid. So Xander like tries to help after Buffy says that and he kind of like doesn't really help with what he says. But Buffy's like, ugh, like don't. Let me talk to her. But I wanted to be like, well, Xander and Willow have a long friendship. Like, yeah, maybe more a stronger friendship than you have with her. And you just put your foot in your mouth. So don't roll your eyes at Xander. Right. Wait for later when he does the next dumb thing he will definitely do. So Willow storms off. Anya runs into her in the hallway and she's like, hey, heard you're like the best witch in the school. Would you mind helping me with creating a temporal fold so I can get my necklace back? 
This sounds fun and dangerous, and Willow's on board for a little bad girling of her own right now. It also sounds like an incredibly complicated, very dangerous spell. I know, and I get that, like, Willow's in a mood right now, but she does not know this woman, and she agrees to this, like, way too easily. Temporal folds do not sound like a small thing. Yeah, she keeps saying it, like, and just, like, a little temporal fold. Just, we're gonna warp time. No big deal. Like, th- that can have consequences. And yeah. it do. yeah. So they go into a classroom. That's the only place you can do spells, it seems. They say the spell words and some magic starts happening. And then they spill this magical sand onto Willow, which is supposed to be spilled onto Anya's little drawing of her necklace. And then Willow watches the Wish episode, like all of the major (laughs) events of that episode flash before her eyes. She's like, what the hell was that? Anya's pissed that the spell didn't work. I just realized that Anya is the blonde neighbor from WandaVision. You didn't tell me that. Like, during the spell, while Willow's, like, watching The Wish, you, like, had a WandaVision visions? No, when I was typing up my notes for this. Oh, got it. Actually, I saw her name at the top of the episode and thought the name sounded familiar, but she looks a lot different. Yeah. Anyway, she's real mean to Willow. She calls her a child. Willow's like, be careful with magic, dude. It's dangerous. Now, excuse me, I have someone else's homework to do. She leaves. Anya smashes the plate that she had drawn the necklace on. Then, Willow from The Wish wakes up in a warehouse. Evil vampire Willow. Yes. Did the plate smashing have something to do with it, or was that just like a flashy way to transition? I think that was just a flashy way to transition. Okay. Just for everyone out there that is skipping along this podcast and doesn't remember the wish, in the wish, Cordelia wished to Anya when she was a demon, she wished Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And so then we saw an alternate universe where Buffy never came to Sunnydale, and the master rose during the harvest, like season one. Vampires ruled at least all of Sunnydale, and Willow and Xander were a vampire couple. Correct. So alternate universe vampire Willow goes for a little walk around the town, and this place seems fun and happy. This isn't the world she knows. She's in regular Sunnydale. And this walk, like, mirrors what Cordelia's walk was in The Wish, actually. Yeah. Except that it's the opposite and everyone's happy. She goes to the bronze. Again, very confusing to her. This is supposed to be the master's bronze. And then she sees Percy. And he's like, why aren't you doing my homework? I'm the boss of you. And of course, this isn't the will he knows. She like throws him across the room and starts choking him. I really wish she would have killed him. Yeah. I mean, I guess we have a scene with him at the end that's fun, but... I really thought he deserved to die. You and I talked about this for a minute, right? Like, why isn't she just killing people? But we also have to remember that she must know that she's, like, in a different reality or something. Like, yeah, something's so she, wrong. She doesn't know if she's if it's safe for her to do that. Yeah, she might be a little freaked out. Like a cat being put somewhere new. Yeah. But Xander comes in and breaks up this fight. Willow loves Xander. She just starts, like, groping him. He's like, wait, what? I thought we weren't doing that? Yeah. It's kind of cool. But, like, well, okay, those hands are in a different place than you usually put them. She realizes he's not a vampire, and she's, like, super grossed out by the fact that he's an alive person. Yeah. Buffy shows up. Willow's like, I don't like you. (laughs) Would she know who Buffy is? Well, she saw Buffy come in and kill a bunch of her friends a second ago. Yeah, I guess she was sucked from that reality, like, right. Right before she died. Yeah. Xander and Buffy don't understand what's happening. Neither does Willow. She goes to leave. They try to stop her, and then she flashes her vamp teeth. Willow leaves the bronze. She's accosted by some vampires. They must have been sent by the mayor, but this is not the Willow they were expecting. She, like, breaks this guy's fingers till he tells her that he works for the mayor, and then until he agrees to work for her now. And they're going to make this world fun by converting everyone to vampires. I thought that was kind of silly. Like, why is she, like, such a badass vampire? Yeah, they don't know her. The mayor's scary, too. Exactly. They must know the mayor's got, like, superpowers. Yeah. So, like, I might lie to her and be like, yeah, I work for you, and then go to the mayor and be like, uh, she's a vampire. What do you want us to do? Right. The mayor's got a slayer. 
Yeah. I don't know if they know that. Probably. Back at the bronze, Anya's trying to drink her problems away, but the bartender keeps trying to card her. Oz is sitting up with his band. Angel shows up looking for Buffy, as always. Then Vampire Willow and her new vampire associates bust in, demanding everyone's attention. Oz is like, Angel, get Buffy. So he scales the building and climbs out the top, I think? Yeah. Willow's having a blast seeing everyone afraid. And she tells everyone if they're good, she'll make them all young and strong forever. Just like making a big show of it. And then she like licks a woman and then bites her. Did she bite her? There was not blood. Uh, I do know for a fact that she bites her. Oh, Sandy comes back? Sandy's not done, baby. She didn't vampire Sandy, though. She does vampire Sandy. How do you vampire someone again? You suck their blood, they suck your blood. It's a whole, like, blood-sucking thing. They didn't show Sandy sucking her blood. Well, we can assume that she picks her off the floor and gives her the blood. But then Willow goes and, like, talks to someone immediately. I mean, it cuts to a different scene pretty soon, isn't it? No, because then Oz is like, you don't want to do this. She's like, oh, I know you. You're one of those punks who try to stop us. Why do you think we're friends? Like, she talks to Oz right after this. Well, I mean, we have to assume that when we cut to Buffy and, like, at the library that she picks her back up and gives her her blood. I mean, it's it's possible. So it's not clear in this episode that she made her a vampire, but you're telling me she does? She does. We know that for a fact because she comes back, which is weird. But she must, like, not have killed her. And then, like, eventually when we cut to a different scene, which I know is a little bit later, she must, like, pick her up and give her some of her blood. We'll or check. maybe one of the other vampires is doing it in the background while we're not paying attention. Does that work? Can someone else vampire her? Sure, yeah. We'll check back in on this episode, maybe, once we meet Sandy again. Love you, Sandy. Okay. So, yeah, she has an encounter with Oz, and then Anya steps in to let her know what's going on, that she's in the wrong world, and she wants to help get her back. Xander and Buffy sadly go to the library to tell Giles that Will is dead. She's a vampire now. Giles is like, she was truly the finest of all of us. And Xander's like, yeah, way better than me. And Giles is like, much, much better. (laughs) This is probably the funniest scene in the episode, this whole sequence. Yeah. Buffy thinks it's all her fault for calling her reliable. And then Willow bounces in like Faith, like nothing's weird. Real Willow. Xander tries to get her to back off with a cross and it doesn't work. And then he like shakes it and tries it again. (laughs) Blows on it like a video game. He didn't do that. Yeah, like like something's low on batteries or something. Yeah. They all aggressively hug her. Like first Xander and Buffy do. And then Giles does. That was really cute. Yeah, and funny. funny. Willow's like, you guys didn't do drugs like I did in the beginning of the episode, did you? They finally got that sugar. (laughs) Xander's like, what? we saw you. You're a vampire. And that's kind of cute, too. Willow very defensively is like, I'm not a vampire. And then Xander's like, Giles, do you have an explanation? He's like, "Uh, well, something very strange is happening. (laughs) Xander's like, can you believe the Watchers Council let this guy go? That was really funny. (laughs) All of that. Very funny. Angel comes in to tell them that Willow's dead. And then he sees she's there and absolutely not dead. I really wanted him to hug her, too. Yeah, that was funny. He's like, Willow's dead. Hey, Willow. (laughs) (laughs) They're all off to the bronze to fight vampire Willow and her new friends. But Willow goes back to the library for something. They don't say what. But then she's accosted by vampire Willow. Vampire Willow makes fun of real Willow's outfit. Totally fair. Anya told Vampire Willow that real Willow could help her get home to her reality. But now that she's seen Willow, she's not so sure. She kind of likes the idea of there being two of her. And then they have like a real sexy time. She licks her. That's just her move. She licks people. Is she licking people in the Wish episode? I don't remember. I do feel like the green screen works here pretty well. Yeah, she's like playing herself right next to herself. And also since like the vampire one also has to look a little paler, I feel like they get away with some of the green screen a little bit easier. Uh Uh-huh. Real Willow isn't into this, or at least isn't admitting she is. So they get into a little fight, but Real Willow tranquilizes Vampire Willow with the Oz gun, I think. She passes out and calls her a bitch. (laughs) 
Willow must like run to catch up with her friends that just left because the next scene is them locking vampire version in the library cage. Willow's like, me as a vampire so evil and skanky and maybe kind of gay. And Buffy's like, don't worry, vampire's personality has nothing to do with the person it was. And Angel's like, well, actually, I don't want to say. Weird. Yeah, what? I mean, I know because of New Mutants and just like general life spoilers that Willow is a little gay at some point. I, what? But like, do you I think- I don't know what you're talking about. You do. But do you think that Angel's comment was foreshadowing that? Do you think they knew they were going to do that at this point? Or do you think like Angel's comment meant something else? Like if you were watching this for the first time, what would you think that meant? Okay, so if I were watching for this for the first time, I would think that the implication is that maybe Will is a little gay, but like Angel realizes that that was maybe a weird thing to say, and so he like changed his mind. Yeah. Does that mean like Angel's lying about something in his personality? Hmm, no, I, I'm not getting that at all. I think it was clearly real Willow has a little gayness in her, maybe. Right, but um, Angel must know that to be true, either from himself or from other vampires. Yeah, I mean, he knows vampires. He is one. That's why I wonder if there's like something secret about him. Uh, I don't think so. It's just one way to read it. He's I, just turned a lot of people. I'm just I'm trying to understand the joke without actually knowing the future of the show. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about this Willow Gay stuff. That doesn't sound familiar to me. I know she's dating Oz. Yeah, that'll never change. Yeah, I... I I don't know. They're like, what are we going to do now? I don't know. Because we should maybe go back to the bronze. Yeah, it's full of vampires and Oz. Like, let's go. Yeah, let's hurry up. They kind of indicate that the vampires might be waiting for Willow for future instruction. But they also point out that that might not be the case. Like, vampires just get hungry and eat people. And then Buffy's got the bright idea to swap the clothes from the two Willows and have real Willow, like, cosplay as her vampire self. So then it also probably takes them a bit to switch the clothes. Like, they're not in a hurry. Yeah, they're taking their time. Also, they... Like, don't need to put the clothes on Vampire Willow. No, I guess they didn't want to leave her naked, but... But why not? Like, leave her the clothes. When she wakes up, she can put them on. Xander's there. They gotta cover up. I guess Giles could give her a blanket, because he's been clearly sleeping in his office this whole season. (laughs) Apparently, the vampires were just waiting for Willow. What was that like? Were they just, like, chatting with the humans? (laughs) Like, so what do you do? They probably, like, made Sandy into Vampire the Reborn. (laughs) Actually, maybe that's when it happened. (laughs) This has been a while. So Willow goes in, in her vampire clothes that she's not comfortable in. She's not pulling this off well. She walks up to the, like, the vampire bouncer. is like, hi, I'm back. I thought the scene was super funny, though. I didn't think this was that funny. You always talk about Gilmore Girls feeling like a sitcom. This is like a total sitcom trope where someone's got to like pretend to be a different version of themselves and they're bad at it. Sure. I thought it was funny just because their whole plan is to try to whittle down how many vampires there are. That is very funny. And she's like, did you hear some outside? Maybe you should go check that out. Yeah. She like <laughs> keeps finding dumb excuses to send them outside one at a time for Buffy to kill. He's been gone a while. Maybe you should make sure he's okay. And she's supposed to scream when it's time for Buffy and her friends to come rushing in. Oz totally knows this is his Willow. She, like, waves to him. And then Anya's like, where's the real Willow? And Willow says she killed her. And Anya's like, why would you do that? That was, like, our one chance at fixing this. Meanwhile, Willow Vampire wakes up in the cage in real Willow's stupid clothes. Cordelia just happens to stop by looking for books in a homecoming gown. (laughs) Looking for Wesley. That was funny, though. You're like, what is she doing here? And then she's like, Wesley? <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> it is, it's so late. It's got to be at least like 9 p.m. Yeah. You don't just go to the school library at the middle of the night. Yeah. Willow tries to convince her to let her out, but Cordelia's like, you know what? Since I have you here, let's talk about how you stole my fucking boyfriend. How about? She like makes herself a cup of tea and like kind of just gives herself therapy about this whole situation. <laughs> Willow's not paying much attention. She finally lets her out, and then Willow reveals herself as the vampire. 
She chases Cordelia through the school. Wesley shows up, holds a cross and holy water up to Willow. It doesn't really seem to hurt her. She just kind of is like, whatever, and leaves. I don't know. I feel like I see vampires react very badly to that. I mean, to be fair, they've set her up as like a really badass vampire. And I think like the cross is hurt, but like you don't have to show that pain. And the holy water wouldn't hurt. He has to actually throw it at her. He just like showed her he had some. Yeah, but I mean, that would burn. So she's probably like, yeah, on it. It's just too much hassle. She's tired. Cordelia taps Wesley on the shoulder. He just like shrieks like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> and then she hugs him. They hug pretty intimately for like a minute. And then she's like, are you doing anything tonight? So that's the last we see of them. Who knows what happens? Oh, I know. I know. Back at the bronze, Willow's trying to do everything she can to stall. She's like, I don't know, killing people is so boring. And she just like casually runs her fingers through this girl's hair and <laughs> just gets stuck. It's so funny. I think this whole scene is so funny. I, there was a couple funny moments, but I just thought her like pretending to be badass wasn't funny. But like that was funny and her shooing the boys outside was funny. Finally, Anya puts it together that this is real Willow. She outs her to all the vampires, and the main one's like, I should have smelled that you were human right away. Probably, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's maybe not in the habit of smelling every vampire he comes across, but shouldn't it be maybe obvious? You should get tested for COVID. Yeah, so should Suki. And Willow's like, what? No, I'm not human. Could a human do this? And she screams to signal her friends in. And they're like, yeah, yeah, human. Yeah. It was very, that was funny too. Because yeah. that vampire. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> very out of character for a vampire to talk like that. They hear the screams. Buffy and crew come in. They all fight the vampires. Everyone gets their own cool little part of the fight. Willow punches Anya. Willow vampire shows up. She's trying to kill real Willow. Why? She still is like her only hope of getting back, right? Yeah. I don't know why she wants to kill her. She might want to turn her into a vampire. Maybe she just, yeah, that's true. Buffy finishes fighting all the vampires. She heads over to kill Vampire Willow, and real Willow's like, no, I love her. She doesn't say that, but she just doesn't, like, have the heart to kill her. Let's talk about that for a second, right? So Buffy is about to stab Willow, evil Willow, right? And someone yells for her to stop, and she does. This is exactly what happened with that dude in the alley with Faith, but Faith doesn't stop. yeah. I think that just says either... I don't think Faith wanted to kill a human. I think I don't think so. I think that was a mistake. But it just sort of shows that, like, Buffy's just got more of control of herself. Do you think that's also the reason they set up that Buffy's been training a lot in the beginning of the episode? Is that why we had all of that for this moment? Yeah, maybe. But I do think it was significant because yeah. it's the same thing. Someone yells right before she stabs, but she is able to stop it before she does it. It's not just all reflex. Like, she's thinking, too. They all go back to Vampire Willow's warehouse to do a spell to send her back to her reality. Why is Anya helping them? Probably because they're forcing her to. Yeah. Giles is like, don't try anything, Missy. And she's like, I'm going to get my powers back someday and make you all grovel before me. They kind of laugh, but I bet that'll happen somehow. No way this girl's done. The Willows hug goodbye, and Vampire Willow puts her hands somewhere we don't see. <laughs> that was cute. Like a callback to her getting too handsy with Xander earlier yeah. in the episode. They do the spell. Bad Willow gets sent back to her timeline right in the middle of the fight at the end of the wish, right as Oz stakes her. Yep. She's like, ah, fuck. They cut off the fuck, but... We don't. No. Back in the normal timeline, Willow's wearing a yellower version of her previous stupid outfit. <laughs> She's scared to do anything but stay at home now. She's, like, scared of being bad. She just wants to stay home and die a virgin like Rory. <laughs> Percy comes up and is like, hey, you were super scary at the bar, so I uh, did my own paper. I actually did two. I can do more if you want. That was so funny. It's like two presents with the same name, so I just did them both. <laughs> uh, yeah, just let me know if you need more homework. Totally cool to do that. Your Highness. And then he, like, gives her an apple. <laughs> cute and then willow's like maybe i do want to go out tonight that's it a little bit of trivia i just thought of allison hannigan also plays like a twin in how i met your mother 
I can't remember. There's like a stripper. Oh, I don't really remember that. She, I think she shows up a couple times. Cause they all have twins. Remember in the show? Oh yeah. I don't. You and I rewatched some of that recently, but I don't think we got to that point. No, but I just remember that she plays a twin in that one too. Yeah. So Brian, is this a good one? Yeah, I think it's like a really good episode. Tell me why. I think it's really funny. And I know you didn't like her behaving like she's the fake Willow. And I agree that her acting like... I didn't hate it. It just felt... I've seen this before. I just feel like there were like three or four really good jokes packed into that. Like her hand getting stuck in the hair. Her like telling the people, can you go check that outside? And then like, could a human do this? Like all that was very funny. Yes. Uh, there's stuff that's dumb in it. There's definitely stuff that doesn't work. But I also feel like it's funny and a little emotional, too. Like, they all love Willow so much. And I feel like it's got a nice arc of, like, Percy, like, I don't know, like, Willow gets to be a little confident and dominant in this one. I I feel like it works a lot better than the Zeppo did for me. Yeah. There isn't a tone switch, like, in the Zeppo. Yeah, I mean, the Zeppo was, like, the episode was kind of a joke. And all the the storyline in this all, like, makes sense, whereas the Zeppo's kind of like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, because what's happening to Willow, everyone's aware of. Yeah, and it all follows from stuff that's happened previously. But both episodes is, like, character building for each character. We just, nobody knows that Xander's character was built. Yeah. Maybe it'll come into play later. I just think it, it... Worked. It's just like a lot of the jokes worked and it was silly, but it also moved the plot along a little bit. Like we got to see a little bit of the mayor's relationship with Faith. We find out that they're not just, it's not like a weird sex power thing. She wouldn't mind if it was. Right. That, but that makes sense with Faith's character. Yeah. However, I'm curious to know what the mayor's seemingly affection for her would do to her when she's used to just sex being the thing. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it just worked for me. It is silly, but I liked it. And the temporal fold thing doesn't really make sense to me because that's like a time spell. And how did the spell get messed up? They just poured the sand on Willow somehow? Yeah, I think it was supposed to go on the picture of the necklace, which would be like, that's what we're trying to find. Who messed it up? Anya or Willow? I don't know. It just kind of happened. I think it was working and then Willow sort of like spazzes out because yeah. she starts to see this universe and like isn't paying attention. What'd you think? No, I liked it. It was like a different type of episode. It definitely did have that like sort of Zeppo, we're doing something goofy with Willow music yeah. mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. But it was like a much darker, believable story than the than Xander's little adventure. And I can see that there'll probably be more opportunities to bring in that alternate reality in the future. We don't. That's it. Really? Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's That's the last time we're going to look at it. That's dumb. I know. I feel like it'd be a fun, but we don't. We're done with it. I'm not kidding. But Anya's like, I'm going to get you. Do we see Anya again? I will not speak to whether or not we see Anya no, again, but Anya I can tell again. you that that universe is. Oh, exist. we're going to see other universes, though. I will not speak to that. I will also not speak to anything about Willow being gay. Well, I'm not going to speak to you then. <laughs> this has been. <laughs> no, it was good. It was fun. It had a few little flaws, like kind of weird that we didn't acknowledge that Faith tried to kill everyone in the previous episode. Super weird. Kind of like how we just needed one little line to be like, whoa, we weren't trying to get pregnant, Suki. We needed one little line to be like, Faith's in this like reform school program with Wesley, you know, watching her constantly. It's just like, she's guilty of murder, but since she really doesn't want to deal with it, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So Wesley's not watching her very well if he's not checking out her swanky big PlayStation apartment. Yeah. They do say she's keeping her other home as yeah, like a cover. burner phone. Burner home. Their <laughs> burner home. So, Stacey, which one do you think was better? I think probably Buffy. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it was clearly Buffy. It, just because it was sort of a fun, unique type of Buffy episode that told like a cohesive story. And while I liked a lot of the individual parts of Gilmore Girls, it was sort of just a mishmash of things. Yeah. But yeah, not the biggest blowout in my opinion, but I feel confident that it's Buffy. 
Yeah, I mean, this wasn't like we saw a Gilmore Girls that sucked, and then we saw an amazing Buffy. We saw a good Gilmore Girls, but then we saw a pretty funny Buffy, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you guys want to watch along with us next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 3, Episode 17, Enemies. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 3, Episode 17, A Tale of Pose and Fire. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode discussed in this podcast. Why is Anya going to high school? Did you ever get pregnant and have your taste buds change? Have you successfully stopped a pregnancy by clenching down and holding? Do you think that Paris outing Rory as a virgin on national television and in front of, like, the entire school should have been a bigger deal than it was? Do you think that Richard asking Lorelai to get rid of her cup was not as big of a deal as Brian thought it was? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post all kinds of interactive and behind-the-scenes content. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from you, and it would really help our podcast get discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For even more comedy content not related to the podcast, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. Mm-hmm. We also make comedy sketches, play board games, and review movies in a similar style to our podcast. For all that more, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If social media isn't your thing, you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We're going to try to do a spell and see if we can find our evil counterparts. We don't have a classroom. How are we going to do a spell? I've got a picture of a necklace. We're fine. We're fine.